And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage! Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, or they'll destroy you. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday 52. This is the Next Generation Edition. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with my Starfleet pal, my space buddy, Scott Gardner. How you doing? (laughs) Switching it up once again. (laughs) I just sort of like creepy Popeye or something. I'm just uh, I was getting I was getting too predictable I was getting to a point where I could easily be be replaced by a soundboard and that just that's just not good (laughs) I need the job security you know yeah (laughs) so anyway next generation edition it's it's so nice to be back on format I have to say I mean I really enjoyed last month when when we just did the, the commentary but it's nice to be back in the routine again. And such as it is. a lot of people will be happy to hear we're gonna do a, uh, we're gonna do the next next generation comic. There's been <gasps> a, there's been a few books. people who've asked asked where it's gone, but it, it, it didn't go away. It was just hiding there. So it's yep. it's come back this month. Well, as I mentioned in the TOS edition, and I sure hope you guys are listening to the uh, the TOS edition in addition to listening to this edition the uh, TNG edition. Did I say edition enough times? Uh, we will be Scott getting Gardner back into, in the new edition. In the new edition. and So we will be getting back into covering the comics. What we're going to do on this is we're basically going to alternate. So 
one month it'll be TNG that gets the comic, the next month it'll be TOS that gets the comic, and then back and forth and back and forth. So I like that idea, and we agreed on that. So that's how it's going to be, damn it. Anyway, we do have an email this time around. This is from our buddy Jason Trenner, and he writes, Not spam! I always love his uh, his headers, because he always lets us know that it's not spam. That's so a, actually a good idea. with a really email. good idea. Yes. Because yeah, we continue to be inundated with crap email that we just delete. So Here's a good, is, here's a good um, piece of advice not to get your email deleted on our G- when you write to 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Although now... To make things even easier, and we were we forgot to say it in the last show, but you can write us at Star Trek at two truefreaks.com. Ah, I like this idea. Easier for spam freeness. Yeah, but yeah, don't put a if you write into two truefreaks at gmail.com, don't put your header in Russian. <laughs> yeah, because automatically <laughs> delete. Delete. Yep. Yeah, any yep. Russian listeners out there, you know, send it through Babelfish or something, and yep. you'll have a better chance. Absolutely. But he just addresses this not spam Star Trek Monthly Monday TNG. And did I mention this was from Jason Trenner? So this is from Jason Trenner. He writes, Ah, shades of gray. It sucks. And that's that. <laughs> I love that first uh, paragraph, it's excellent. It says, on to the Star Trek comic and on the issue of Picard not always being the captain of the Stargazer. Because remember in the first issue, which is all we've covered so far, is the first issue of the TNG comic. Well, this is good because um, this is good that it comes up because it will catch us up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And we talked about this. Yeah, it refreshes us on the story as it, as it stood at that time. We were speculating. There was something in there about Picard and the Stargazer that came up and we were wondering about... Because I think it mentioned something about his time on the Stargazer. He but made a little model of the Stargazer and gave it to the little girl who was the, what was they called, the Primarch's, Primarch's daughter. Right. A little gift. But there was something about him not having been the captain at the time, and that confused me because I thought he was always the captain of the Stargazer. But as, as Jason says here, he says, Well, his original post on the ship was as second officer, but something happened and he had to take command. Uh, It depends on if you want to use the Valiant novel or Star Trek Legacy game to show what that something was. But Picard stepped up to the challenge and was given the rank of captain and command of the Stargazer as an end result. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, It says, as for Picard not being so stiff with that alien girl as he would be later, I have an idea. He was harsh with kids and uh, Wesley because in the buried age, he was stuck for weeks, if not months, with a five-year-old boy being, well, a full uh, steam ahead terror as most five-year-old boys are, and a 16-year-old girl crushing uh, on one of the college students that was uh, going to be a part of the dig. Says, I probably told you guys that before, but I get a uh, kick out of uh, remembering the Buried Age novel because I think it kicked ass. I, I can't remember if he did mention this to us before, and I was wondering what the Buried Age was. Hey, yeah. yeah, I guess this was a novel. I haven't heard it. I don't think I have this book. I don't think I've even heard of it. it sounds interesting, though. 
says uh, anyway that alien girl was uh, not a terror or an annoyance to him and it was before he was trapped having to deal with that sort of pain in the butt in an enclosed space for uh, far too long for anyone's sanity felt creepy to me mm-hmm. he says oh and the same writer for the Star Trek TNG comic wrote the Stargazer series of Star Trek novels along with the reunion TNG novel and the finale to the Double Helix uh, series of novels. That would be uh, Michael Jan Friedman, I guess, because he's the writer. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have read Reunion, and that was okay, but it was one of those books that made me feel like there was a bigger story to it that I wasn't privy to, so I was a little bit lost. But it was basically it was a it was an era uh, it was a novel rather set in the era of the TV show where. Um, Picard is reunited with those that were under his command when he was captain of the Stargazer. So it was really interesting, but it, it would be like going to like somebody else's family reunion, you know what I mean, where you don't really yeah. know anybody. And that's kind of how it felt. It was a little bit awkward, but it wasn't a bad book, as I recall. I can't remember what the hell it was about. And Double Helix, I think I started reading one of the Double Helix books, but I don't think I ever finished it. There was one that was um, it was part of the double he- double helix series of novels but it was also numbered as part of the um, Peter what's the name of that Peter David New Frontier or I could be wrong but I think I wanted to read it because it had the captain from the New Frontier something like that and I, I started reading it and I don't think I ever finished it Anyway, uh, he continues, he says, Reunion being uh, the first and explores the Stargazer crew in the TNG era as they were then. And the Double Helix novel being the Stargazer with Tuvok as basically the quote-unquote special guest helping them, and it was good too. Uh, But all of it was a great exploration of a largely unknown era of Trek history. And Picard had an admiral on his ass in the Stargazer novels that he felt was... uh, that he felt was too young to be a captain and making things, shall we say, difficult for uh, for Picard. It isn't the main point, but an ongoing subplot running through them. Well, glad you got through the stinker of the episode and uh, hope the TNG comic is always enjoyable. And again, that's from Jason Trenner. Thank you, Jason. I, I enjoyed your email. And uh, that's interesting about the Stargazer stuff. I've always been curious about that, but... So far, not really curious enough to delve into it too much, but one of the nice things, well, I don't know if it's a nice thing, but it's one of the side effects, I'll say, of Star Trek being where it is right now currently as far as a fandom goes, is that I'm finding a lot of this older Star Trek stuff, you know, the quote-unquote original universe Star Mm -hmm. Trek stuff, sure is out there on the cheap now. I mean... You can you can pick up massive lots of like Star Trek books and comics and just about anything Star Trek related, you know, to the original incarnation of Star Trek before the reboot for a song. So I am Weird, finding you a would lot think of there would be more demand for it and it would go up, but that's awesome. Yeah. It's well, I noticed the same thing kinda happens. You know, say we like with comics. You know, anytime the comics get rebooted, you know, with a particular universe or a particular character, the old stuff loses stock for a little. Yeah, it, it does because you know, until the nostalgia factor kicks in, or until the 
the bloom is off the rose with the new version and people start pining for the old version there's there's a time when right after that reboot happens or that retooling happens where the original stuff man, you can scarf it up cheap if you're if you're quick you know but uh yeah since this old star trek stuff is not necessarily tying in with the new stuff or being referenced or anything like that it, it kind of seems to have lost its you know quote-unquote value and man you sure can scarf up a lot of it on the cheap these days it's it's now it's easier than ever i think to to build yourself a nice collection of uh of star trek novels in particular because for one thing there's so stinking many of them you know the yeah. star trek novels so a lot yeah. of times when people divest themselves of a of a collection now they're just doing it in bulk it's like here a massive collection of star trek you know 50 star trek novels for 10 bucks or something you know i mean i've seen deals like that 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 ain't bad if you're just looking to bulk up you know and who is it <laughs> exactly exactly i've got so many now i can't i can't remember which ones i even have anymore i've got so many of them and i don't really read them <laughs> yeah that's my problem too is i i i can't remember the last i cleared out Star a part Trek. of my room the other day and uncovered a bookshelf that it was just like oh geez when did i get these <laughs> they're probably um Part of um, and I can't remember her first name, but uh, Gil Gerard's wife. They're oh, uh, part of, uh, like doubles of stuff that you got from her when you got that whole trunk load of them. Yeah, Janet. Yeah, Janet. yeah, could be. Yeah, she loaded us up with a ton of Star Trek stuff. Just a and minute, Janet. <laughs> but that's all I got. Me too. Are we ready to dive straight into this episode? Oh yes. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, a hostile alien race threatens to annihilate an entire planet. The lives of 15,000 people are riding on you. We are not leaving. Data's mission, force an evacuation. You will die, and their weapons are far more powerful. But his own life is in jeopardy. On Star Trek The Next Generation... So, I was going to go through the synopsis here as it is in the Nitpicker's Guide for Next Generation Trekkers, but man, is this a long synopsis for a show that I don't feel is terribly involved. So, let me see if I can give you the Reader's Digest version. Chris, you let me know if I miss any pertinent points here, but essentially what we got here... Hey, what's, the, what's the title of this episode? Oh, it's, this one is The Ensigns of Command is the name of this one. This is the uh, second, is that right? This is the second episode second of the... Episode. Yeah, second episode of the third season. And essentially what happens is uh, somebody phones up the Enterprise, this alien race... And they tell Picard that, uh, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're coming back into our region and we found that one of our planets uh, has a bunch of humans living on it. This human colony's living there. We need you to go get these guys, you know, off our planet because we're coming to, uh, you know, to reclaim the planet. So because of, again, this is much like uh, the Galileo 7 episode that we reviewed over on TOS, there's some funky space phenomenon thing going on where... They can't just beam down to the planet or anything, so they send Data down in uh, in a shuttlecraft to go talk to these people. And of course, Data ends up 
talking to the the head dude down on the planet and the guy's like yeah yeah well you know we've lived here for generations and my grandfather's buried up on the mountain and we're we're not leaving we've worked too hard for what we got let these alien assholes come we'll we'll fight it you know we'll fight to stay here and so data has to resort to guile and deception basically to uh, finally convince these people that uh, it ain't so smart to hang around because these alien guys are going to come kill them all if, if they stay so at the end of it he convinces them to leave and uh Managing to get himself a little nookie on the side too, and that I think that's essentially this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's sort of a parallel story with Picard. We're trying to get more time out of the um, uh, whatever the name of those creatures are, the Chilliwacks or whatever. <laughs> right. And uh, and Shellyacks, yeah, that yeah, was it. You were Chilliwax, close. You were close. Yeah. Chillax. And, and uh, the Chillaxes. Chillaxes. The Galaxians. <laughs> And, you know, because it's going to take weeks to, there's 150,000 people out, out there, and it's going to take a while for the next, you know, an evacuation crew to show up to get all of them out of there. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, you know, um, the Chilliwacks are coming back in like three days and are just, and just view humans as insects. So, they're, you know, okay. they're like, they don't care if, if they're still there, they'll just wipe them out. Mm-hmm. So... I thought this was a deceptively simple and by the books TNG episode, but there's a lot going on under the surface in this. It's this is a classic start. This is this is what's missing from the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, and a lot of people are would be like, "Good," because this is just a boring episode of it's. You know, it's funny, I hate to say it, but that's exactly what I was just going to say, is that in this instance, I don't know that that's the best example, because this is the one thing of TNG that I hate most. It's a whole lot of standing around talking. Well, that's the thing. That's what it's about. It's about communication. And there's two parallel stories going on with Picard having to figure out, he's trying to communicate with the Chilliwacks like they're people and appeal to their, you know, to, to say, look, you know, let us get our people out of here. And the Chilliwacks are just like, hey, man, it says here in the contract, that's that, you know. And right. Picard, and, you know, it gets to one point where they basically pull a Mr. T on him when he goes to meet them in person. And, you know, the minute he starts going, well, look, please, we've got to save these people. They're like, I don't understand this jibber jabber. And they just basically <laughs> beat it back to the ship, you know? <laughs> what are you talking about, fool? Go back to your ship and shut up. And off he goes. <laughs> and, and that's when Picard realizes, oh, my God, they're the Vogons, basically. Right. At least they don't read poetry to people, but they're the Vogons. They're so officious that the only way he can communicate with them is through the contract. So instead of trying to make appeals to logic or emotion or anything humans do, he basically just goes and finds, starts tearing apart the contract till he can lock them in. As soon as they're locked. As soon as he gets them on a legal point, they're like, okay, corrected. You know, they do it. You know, they go, all right. And so he, you know, he presses it into a point where he sort of forces them to acknowledge that they've been bested in a way, you know, by he, he outwits them on the contract 
by bringing what is it? He's like they're bringing in a third party mediator of his choice, and he picks some race that's yeah. hibernating. Yeah, they're dormant at the for moment for another yeah. six months or something like that, and gives them the choice of waiting six months to mediate it. It was like the Gambinos or, just, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the frozen Gambino beans, and uh, and and he wins. And at the same time, Data's doing just the opposite. Data's trying to logically, you know, talk down super emotion a super emotional guy. You know, who's just you know he's in denial. You know, he's just gonna stonewall it. And Data doesn't know how to do it and Pam Dauber there is the one who sort of <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about I knew she reminded me of somebody you nailed yeah, it Mindy yeah, yeah she so is totally Mindy yes Mindy oh somebody should have thrown a nanu nanu into this episode <laughs> so, or have have data at the very end of the episode data reports to Orson that would be awesome yes. I would love that shit <laughs> At the end of the day, they would leave the planet. Oh my god! Oh, good lord! But, Can I you know, just it say was, that it, they, both had to, they both had to, you know, figure out how to communicate with somebody who, with, in order to get something, in order to save lives, they had to, to think in a different way, and that's, I mean, that's a solid Star Trek concept, you know, that's. It's it's a science fiction idea, and they and they, I like the framework they put in it with Data doing his music and saying, "Well, I'm very, you know, they say I'm very mechanical with my music." And Data sort of did a little, you know, what they you know what they say about musicians, they have to pay their dues, and he had did you know he had he had to do some stuff that might put a little more. I like the line where Picard goes, "I look forward to your next." performance you know saying that you know data's experiences might have flavored or you know colored his experiences so that it might come out in his playing i doubt it very much but i thought that was a nice little tag and i love the scene where picard got called to the bridge and walks out of the performance after data's like i'm gonna do terrible and he's like no no you'll do fine and then he walks out and data's like, right <laughs> oh, i guess i do suck <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not that there's not a lot going on in the episode it's just i don't know it, it's it's a little slow for me i mean see this this is the problem with tng for me a lot of the time is that you know i i, I watch the episode i enjoy it I, you know it's well written it's well acted but there's just, you know, through the the nature of what the dilemma is, the the nature of the resolution and everything, it essentially comes down to a lot of talk, talk, talk. And, you know, it, it's that fine line between, you know, you, you want to do something that's, that's science fiction based, that's you know character oh, driven, that's story driven. I saw it and darkness, dude. I saw in the darkness. I'm ready for some Star Trek talk, talk, talk. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's fine, right? Hey, man, it's it's helping bringing me back. You know, from from unstoppable action. I'll say one thing for this one though. I do like that. 
when it comes right down to it, data ends up doing the thing I'm always bitching about is where you finally have to get to a point where you are just fed up by being stymied by primitive screw heads by and you moron. just pull out the phasers yeah. and say, look, asshole, this is how it's going to be. I've tried to work with you idiots. You're now not it's time for the boomstick. And now exactly. Now it's time to, you know, you need to get in the damn shuttle and go up with me or I'm going to start phasering people. And that's essentially what data does. I mean, he's nice about it, but I mean, <laughs> he destroys their their water source to prove a point and it's basically like look you know now now you gotta leave because now you got no water so you know get in the damn ship i like that i think there needs to be a little bit more of that i mean you know you don't want to fly around the universe being an asshole to everybody but at the same rate it better to be an asshole and have one hundred and fifty thousand people alive right mr nice guy and they're all dead Right. And but I mean, it it really does as 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 I get older and as as Star Trek goes on and and we're we're really delving into really examining these different facets of of the the mythos of Star Trek, it does increasingly annoy me when you see these these starship captains that get stymied by primitives. You know, because you you would think that their politeness and their courtesy in real life is only going to to go so. Well, I know it. You don't think the dumb the screwheads in our society don't stymie things constantly? Oh yeah, constantly. Yeah, I know. But we got dummies bumping around left and right. But the thing is, this guy was this guy wasn't a dummy as much. He wasn't even primitive. He was just he was just a jerk. You know, he, he was, was too proud. Yeah, Goshevin. Yeah, he yeah, he, he just, was just a dick. He, you know, I mean, really, you would think a real leader would sit down with Data and go, "Okay, what is the situation?" This guy doesn't even fight. He's just like, "Whatever, we'll fight whatever comes here." With what? Where's the, you know, all I saw for weapons is he had a um, taser <laughs> that right. at one point. And, you know, it's and and it's not like these are people who are like enemies of the Federation or anything. They're just people who haven't been in contact with the Federation in a long time, but they know what the Federation is and what it's about. It's not the Federation isn't going there just to mess with them. You know, just right. be like, hey, guys, guess what? Hey, hey, oh, fooled you. Surprise, it's your birthday. <laughs> or whatever, you know, it's it's. Well, what was the whole thing with the radiation, too? Because that seems to get glossed over pretty. Quickly. That was, I think, so they only could send data down, basically, because there was some sort of radiation that they'd grown accustomed to or they'd learned to adapt to. And so, but a normal human would get screwed up down there. Yeah, I mean, but in two generations, because that, that, they do touch on it, but it is quickly glossed over because Data says something about, you know, well, what about the blah, blah, blah radiation? The guy's like, well, you know, we had a hell of a lot of people die, but then we just learned to live with it. And I'm thinking, I don't think radiation works that way. No, no, it was like we had 30% of the people die before we... I can't remember what it was that they actually figured out, but they figured out some way to adapt themselves or 
you know, I don't know if they changed it medically, messed with their genetics or something, but they they corrected it so that they were um, immune to it or whatever. It obviously wasn't like natural selection because that takes you know hundreds of thousands or millions right. of years. Yeah. So they obviously they were obviously very who are, they were very in, you know their ancestors and were very intelligent and resourceful for for surviving and being able to uh you know build this whole thing but yeah not too bright when it comes to problem solving <laughs> social situations but i like I mean, the had... dynamics of how data spread dissent and you know got people thinking you know it's just like and your kids will die with honor too you know and we'll you mm-hmm. know we'll memorialize your kids and you know, and you could see it bringing it home to pe- the people sitting there with their kids, going, "Oh yeah, right, our kids." Right. You know. So it was an and very Star Trekky, where it didn't it it didn't end in bloodshed and violence with you know the two factions of wanting to leave and leave start shooting at each other and stuff. I like yeah, that. He- he just flies off in his shuttle at the end, and Pam Dauber's pregnant with his baby. Yeah, yeah should, don't you think Data should have? Uh, I mean, once she st- once she started making out with him, shouldn't he have gone like, "Oh yes, full functionality." <laughs> you know I what I mean? Yeah. She obviously was into it, and it's the future. There's no taboos on that. Mm-hmm. He could have been just like. Bum, 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 bum. This is my boomstick. <laughs> Check out my hard drive. <laughs> um. Okay. So there's a lot. Yeah. This is there's a shuttlecraft mission. Transporter tests where mm-hmm. they're testing stuff and it's coming back messed up till they can get the transporter fixed. Why the hell didn't they use Wesley for those tests? <laughs> That's what I want to know. But uh. I thought that that was pretty pretty good um, um, connections to the the original series show that we watched this month mm-hmm. that I noticed. Um, did you notice how Picard? You know, Picard's usually pretty dry, but when he started citing that contract back at him, you know, he was getting a woody. Mm-hmm. He was starting to feel. I think maybe he might have found his calling as as an officious, yep. you know, um, pencil pusher. Yep. It's just like, whoa! Now, oh, look at him go! Now, nobody's surrendering now. Now that he can cite section fifteen, paragraph two hundred and seventy-five. Well, he got a chance to exercise his greatest superpower, super stodginess. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, super nitpicky. Um, talking, yes. <laughs> no. If I if I could only quote some Shakespeare to <laughs> yeah. them, this would be the best episode ever. Meanwhile, Kirk would have just run up to octopus creature and given him the axe handle punch and <laughs> the two fisted kick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that thing. What was that thing? It, it kind of reminded me of, like Mothman or something. Something. It was just cheesy. It didn't look yeah. too badass to me. No, it, it looked, looked a like little like leftover the, from an old like '80s uh, Doctor Who episode. It was like the plush version of the rock creature from the Abe Lincoln episode. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, very much so. Yeah. It's like the kind you buy for your like baby daughter to sleep with at night. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot like that. You're I right. Kirk would have gone in there and ripped him open and pulled all their styrofoam filling out right in front of them. <laughs> Shoved it in their face. Here's your contract. <laughs> I think the very first thing he How do you like that, Scarecrow? If he'd been the one to go down to the planet, I think, you know, he'd he'd have dealt with, you know, Goshevin just said he would eventually have had to hit him. Oh, yeah. He just had to hit him. Oh, yeah. Oh, there would have been slugging involved (laughs) in no time. (laughs) But you see, that's the thing, though, is Kirk wouldn't have had to go through all that process that Data did. He would have. He would have. He would have. That way, he would have given the speech to the people about their dead children right out of the as he's <laughs> stepping out of the shuttlecraft. <laughs> I like their little VW shuttlecraft they got for the for the next mm-hmm. generation. The little two seater type of deal. It's a little more sporty. That's the date shuttlecraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's out all about all I got for this one. I like this episode. I what can I say? I was down for some just solid science fiction, and that's what this is. Right. I think that's what Star Trek: The Next Generation. And this sounds stupid, but those episodes like this, this is what I think it was all about. You know. Not something, you know, every once in a while, knock your socks off. But some, you know, some good science fiction with a little something to think about, you know. Right. I I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I I think it was a well-written episode. It just, at the end of the day, I didn't didn't really have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, it was was well-written. It was entertaining. Decent sets. I liked. Uh, they had a lot of good walkthrough sets on the planet. Yeah, especially with the water sluice they had there. That was pretty, the space water sluice. Now you had down on the planet. There were there were basically besides the girl. There were basically three main people. You had Goshevin, who was the leader, but then there was the two lieutenants. There was the, the white guy and the black guy. I'm sorry, I can't describe him better. The black than guy actually. looks I don't know like the guy is. from Mad TV who used to play the spazzy UPS guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the guy who'd like be jumping up and down and all like spazzied, like me on a on a Mountain Dew. That's what I. Who, that's what he reminded me of. Uh, who is the white guy though? Because I know I've seen that dude in I, other I, stuff, I but I could know. not connect him with anything in my head. I, I tried to look him up, but I, I couldn't find. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what what the character's name was, and I couldn't find anything in in the listings I was looking at that sounded like. Because I don't know if he was ever given a name. If he was, I didn't catch it. But anyway, he he definitely. I, I've seen him in something else on television or in a movie or something, but I just couldn't couldn't connect it. Maybe somebody will write in and be able to tell me if you know which character I'm talking about, but. Yeah, that's it for me. That's that's all I had on this too. I really didn't have much in the way of notes. I, I enjoyed the episode. Just little it was a little slow. It was a little talky for me, but that's not always a bad thing, I guess. Uh, give me the talky talky, let me tell you. <laughs> Alright, so I guess we're ready to move on. We are. And now we're back finally 
I know a lot of people have been asking back to the Star Trek DC comics, mm-hmm. next generation comics. And um, actually, going along with this episode, this is number two. You number two. <laughs> um, I don't know what month this was. I, for the life of me, couldn't find a month on it. Oh yeah, it's you're from right. 1989. Dollar uh, fifty, which is roughly double the price of the time period of comics we've been going over on most of our shows. Mm-hmm. Which is running? We've been running in the seventy-five cent time period. This is this is obviously later on because it's a buck fifty, which seemed like a lot back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Michael Friedman, the writer. Ah. Pardon me. Pablo Marcus, artist. Bob Penaha, Penaha, letterer. Juliana Ferreter was the colorist and Robert Greenberger was the editor and um, the story is titled Murder Most Foul which I gotta disagree because there's only one murder in this and it wasn't the foulest murder I've uh, ever heard of but anyway <clears throat> well Picard's been accused of killing the Primarch of the planet Ramon Ramon during a, uh, a, a funeral c- ceremony, and uh, Picard was found at the scene of the crime, <clears throat> along with Tardal, a big Hulk <laughs> Ramonian who is also a suspect. Picard forgoes his diplomatic immunity because he doesn't want to screw up, you know, the, any kind of contracts they have with this planet, and decides to have a trial. Um. Meanwhile, on the ship, Riker's having Troy search security tapes of the funeral party for some sort of proof that Tardal did it or some sort of body language that he had that would prove that he was getting ready to kill somebody. Tardal, meanwhile, during the um, trial, invokes an ancient and kind of archaic law dictating that the two um, parties fight to the death and you know that that and the gods will decide so whoever the winner is is obviously the innocent person picard is told he can have someone fight for him in his place he refuses like an idiot (laughs) troy decides to be useful for once and determines through body language that the primarch's daughter lutina uh picard's creepy friend from when she was a little girl is the guilty party um picard then changes his mind and decides that he will let riker stand in for him in the death match so while riker is almost getting killed by tardal picard tricks lutina into uh blabbing out her plot while the ramonian judge sits behind the curtain and listens in and of Isn't course but doesn't Lutina sound like one of those like chocolate drinks that has vitamins in it? I don't know. It sounds like something you put on poison ivy or something. <laughs> <laughs> and so Picard's cleared of all charges and they go on their way happily. Oh, yes. Lieutenant McGrib gets a useless and pointless pep talk from his girlfriend. Oh, yes. The Thank end. you for pointing that out. What the hell was that all about? That, that was that useless and pointless. Up- it takes up two entire pages. It's the stupidest shit ever because it's just like he comes out and goes, eh, wine, 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 
wine, wine, wine. She goes, oh, come on, buck up, little baby. It's, you know, it's the future. We don't act like that anymore. And nobody cares if you have a little pee-pee. So just, you know, man up. <laughs> it's okay. Man up, McRib. Yeah, he's, he's Hello, McRib. Olsen feeling bad for himself. She's Hottie McHotness. Yeah. What the hell does she see in this this guy who... All she has to do is grab him and go, McRib, look who you're screwing. Shut up. <laughs> go with the flow. <laughs> What's the matter with you, McRib? But she basically, she does, it's the future. Man. You're, you're talking like a 20th century comic book reader. Let's let's get ri- with it, you know. I mean, yeah. but what does it what? I mean, okay, maybe we we don't know. Maybe McRib's gonna turn, you know, figure into a story in the future. Maybe this is all world building stuff. But it was just out of place, mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the other the the old school DC comics with with some of the new characters that they worked in that weren't quite. Um, you know the greatest characters of all time. What was the what was the racist? Uh, Bearclaw. Bearclaw. The the racist Native American. Yep. It, you know it just and and having you know and this is the second time McRibs had a little, you know, um, um, teeny teeny peeny moment you know where he's (laughs) been sitting there feeling sorry for himself well he got his head caved in trying to do Worf's calisthenics program in the first issue remember yeah but come on you're doing a you're doing Klingon you know come on what what standards is McRibs setting himself up for anyway it's just I thought as it stands it wasn't the most complicated story it wasn't the most uh difficult to figure out what was going on in it you know or to to predict the you know the big twister ending as soon as lutina showed up yes in that one part where picard and Riker were talking i was like she done it yeah and that was in the last episode right that was in no it's in it's it's in in this this one. one yeah as soon as she showed up i was like oh she done it she's the one yeah so it was the chair what I really liked about this, the art is pretty good. It's it's not the it's not the great. It's a little it's got a little sketchiness to it. And once again, it's got that modern, more modern comic look of of the thin lines. And I mm-hmm. like to see some big fat lines in there every once in a while. The thin lines sometimes there's like if you go on page 17, there's a Picard you know speaking up at the top of the page and it just looks it makes him look um, scrawny and sketchy, you know. Well, I noticed a lot of the Starfleet people in this, particularly uh, Picard and Riker, they have necks like Kaminoans or something. <laughs> I they, know, they, yes. Yeah, they look really weird sometimes. You know, it's almost like uh, like you would see Terry Gilliam do this sometime <laughs> with his yes. Monty Python animations. You know, with Sticking these, my neck out for you, McRib. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i i caught a couple of things right at the beginning of the, i mean it all comes down to nitpicks because overall i really enjoyed the story yes, uh, i thought this was actually a really well written book uh well but, uh, yeah okay go ahead sorry i was just gonna say look on page one 
All right, for one thing, I could be wrong, but I don't think we ever see Wesley sit at that station. It's, it, he's sitting at, from Picard's point of view, Wesley would be sitting in the left-hand seat, whatever. I never did learn what these stations... I know one's con and one's ops. I don't know which one's which. But he's sitting in the left-hand one. I'm pretty sure whenever he is there, he's always on the right-hand right. side. Yeah. One. But anyway, that's a minor thing. But look here, on page one... You've got Riker on the view screen talking to Data, right? Mm-hmm. And what's behind him is a is a star field. And then everything we see here on pages two and three, when he's talking on the view screen, there's a star field. When we finally see Riker, quote unquote, in person at the bottom of page three, he's in a room with a bunch he's of guys. He's in a room and sitting in a chair. I'm like, well, where the hell's this star field coming from? Maybe it's from? like some of the, you know, I am programs where you can pick your own background you know <laughs> it's for... like the like the weather report on yeah. the or something yeah <laughs> it's goofy that is goofy but uh, what i really liked about the writing in this is when you would read one of the characters we were familiar with you know from the tv show when you would read their dialogue you could hear the actor their voice yeah in, you know you can hear it was written for Picard to say in his particular inflection. And um, I thought um, um, Riker was especially well-written. Whenever a- any dialogue Riker has in here really sounds like um, I can hear Jonathan Frakes saying it. Jonathan you know? Frakes, yeah. And uh, that's that's good writing for, for a comic, you know. It covers up a lot of the, the thin plot and stuff because it feels more like an episode of the show because because the, the patter is the same you know and the flow of it and this is sort of the kind of story you would see in a star trek the next generation you know i do have one huge problem with this story though i i, I think this is like one of those like picard somebody just needed to dope slap him moments in this all right, so he's challenged by Tardal to Mortal Kombat. He finds out there's a loophole where he can select his own champion to fight for him. Worf. He selects Riker. Why? Yeah, exactly. Why the hell didn't they send Worf down there? Data. Worf's the guy that sits in the ship, just pissed off all day long, going, oh, "I want to kill something." You know, it's, send him down there to just kick Tardal's fight, ass. Fight for the honor of the ship and the captain. You want to do that, Worf? Or, yeah. or if you really want to get a ringer out there, Data. Because if Data loses, you just repair his ass. <laughs> right. And, and, if he, and it's Data. He can move really fast. He could just, like, run behind Tardal and knock him on the head, you know, and knock him out, you know, in a second. But, I mean, Tardal is easily, easily twice the size yes. of Riker. He's ripped. He looks like one of the friggin' Thundercats. This is exactly <laughs> yes. the type of creature that Worf fights on a daily basis on the holodeck. Yeah. Let Worf go Worf down there and, and guys work. like this in his stool every <laughs> Let Worf go down and work out some of his aggression. Yeah. He'd have a field day. He would have an absolute have, field day first kicking have this Troy guy's have, ass. First have Troy give him a quote-unquote pep talk where she goes and, like, 
I know you feel bad because you haven't been able to have sex in many years because there's no good Klingon women and blah, blah, you know, until he's just ready to punch her in the face. And then uh, I'm sure you just want to talk to me and tell me what's wrong and and then beam his ass right down there. If he can, like hologram her face onto Tardal and and watch the fun begin. See, I, I know this is a story. I, I know it's written for the comic. It could go any way it wants to. I could forgive this if it was a TV episode because, you know, you want to get in a certain amount of Riker episodes and a certain number of, you know, data episodes, that sort of thing. Right. So if this was an episode, you could see where, okay, this fight, this is Jonathan Frakes's little, Kirkmo. you know, yeah, we're going to give him this moment so that he has a really good Kirk moment. This going to have like a half season action scene this season. Half this is a comic time, half Gorn sort of thing. So to me, I'm going to chalk this up as an actual. This is a goof because there's no reason. There's no logical reason why Riker should do it and Worf shouldn't. Worf is seen right at the beginning of the episode or the issue here, wanting. To kill something. And and Riker has to talk him. You know, Riker's, you know, where is this moment? Here it is. It's on page. Maybe maybe page Picard four. didn't want him to die. Maybe Picard was like, if I get Worf, he could kill this guy. This guy might not be. At that point, also, Picard knew that Tardal was not guilty either. So what? Well, if he was smart, he would have just said, hey, Tardal, guess what? I've cleared both of us, you dumb fuck. Hang on a minute. You know? Just hang on a minute. And I'll get us both cleared and we can go have some Romulan ale. And have a good laugh about this. And whores. Yeah. And I might you have, have this, to kill you. Do you have this as a paper issue? Yes, I do. Does yours have a centerfold right yes, in the middle it of does. the book? Is it the shocker? It's the shocker, and it's not the shocker that you youngins think the, the shocker is. This is the Wes Craven movie. The Wes Craven movie with a, a I actually know somebody who's in this movie. I've never I, I'm ashamed to say, as a fan of Wes, Wes Craven, and as a big fan of the guy I know who's in it, I'm ashamed to say that I've never seen this movie. But yeah, I got a shiny new poster of of Shocker. The poster is hilarious. <laughs> and I have to think that this movie is not a straight-up serious horror movie. I heard that it sucked. Well, I heard, I heard it, it really sucked bad. too, but you know, I think now when you, when you factor it, because, okay, when you look at the top of this, it says, from the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street and The Serpent and the Rainbow. Those were arguably two of his those were two of his best financial successes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were both... Nightmare on Elm Street has some humor in it. So does Serpent in the Rainbow here and there. But those are both like two of his scariest movies. And uh, and Shocker, obviously, <laughs> when you look at it and see the guy getting fried in the chair with, a, with an R face on, this is, this is like something else you know this is humorous and uh maybe it didn't get understood i you know wes craven's a good director and then he went on just a few years after this to do the um 
Oh, what the hell was the name of it? The they were basically parodies. The first one had Drew Barrymore in it. Scream movies, yeah, the Scream, Scream movies. Scream, yeah. And uh, which were sort of a a twisting and breaking the wall of horror of teen horror movies. So, plus, um, well, the guy the guy I know in it is uh, the bizarre guitar player musician Eugene Chadbourne gets a part in it he got a role in one of the scream movies too where he played a college professor but uh yeah it's uh it's pretty i i i have to go i have to see it even if it is awful um i love the poster (laughs) i'm not tearing it out of my comic much as i kind of am tempted to but uh yeah, that's what I love about having paper copies is when you have stuff like that. And otherwise, this is really... There's not a lot of ads in these comics, and they're not as fun as... Th- th- this is when comic ads st- stopped being as fun and started being just sort of magazine ads almost. I mean, like, the inside covers, like... All right, it's good. It's a charity. It's care, but it's like something you could see in Time magazine or something... It's not like, you know, cheap cheap novelties and and stuff like that. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Trying to see if there's anything else. Yeah, there's really nothing else. There's a Bill and Ted uh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure ad on the back cover, which nowadays looks like a really hor it looks like one of my Photoshop jobs actually. Yeah. Especially it does. the way they got all the guys like you know, obviously just publicity pictures of all the guys piled inside the telephone booth and George Carlin in the moon. But yeah, but this was after the movie had already been out and stuff, so they weren't going to put a lot of money into this ad. This was now, it came out on video. I don't know if you ever read this or not. I can remember actually when this article was brand new. Across from the inside back cover, uh-huh. okay. there's that focus article right there that talks all about um, the Superman archives, and this this is when the first volume was about to come out, and basically talks about how it was created, and a process that came to be known as theekstonizing, which was literally taking Golden Age comics, including like Action Comics number one, cutting them into pieces, and then using the theekstonizing process to get the like the ink work to pop out of it so that they could reproduce it and and reprint it and to this very day i still want to punch greg theaston in the freaking throat for doing that because i think that's despicable to to do that to those books but (laughs) well if they would have waited for a few years and they would have had photoshop yeah wouldn't have had to even do that you know yeah i mean like Basically, yeah, you, like, I, I did a little bit of that. But remember when you had all those scans of the um, of the Star Wars, um, the newspaper, newspaper strips, strips, yeah, yeah, and they were yellowed from time, and some of them had pieces of tape across them. And I found mm-hmm. that, like with a few presses of the button on Photoshop, all the yellow disappears and turns to white. You mm-hmm. know, and if and if the, you could erase out the the tape and stuff and and there you have it you know and yeah and before it would have 
take you know it would have taken thousands of man hours with whiteout and taking photographs of them and retouching them and all that stuff. So yeah, oh, cutting up an issue of action number one. Who did they pick to do that to take the the scissors to that? Ah, oh. not awful. Speaking of which, did you hear somebody just had a copy of Action Number One fall out of their wall when they were renovating? Yes, makes me sick. And then they fought. O- they were like fighting over it, like who was going to look at it and rip the back cover. Yep. Nice, stupid Owen. That I mean, that's I just stories I hear like that make me. You know, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that's cool, and then on the other hand, it just makes me sick in the pit of my stomach because that's. You know, that's the story I want. You know, that's yeah. that's what I want well, to happen. At least, to me, at least you, know? you didn't look at it and go, "That was my old apartment." Right. <laughs> that yeah, was two feet true. away from where I punched out the wall when I quit my last job. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say what I need to I need to get into real estate and start buying up some old houses because this is the second time I've heard of something like that happening. Because uh, a girl a I used practice to practice for people to oh yeah go their magazines and use them as insulation yeah magazines and and newspapers because uh, a girl I used to movie, date posters one of her sisters uh, dated this guy who bought a house it was somewhere up in the Thousand Islands and he bought this place it was you know going to be like his summer place and he was fixing it up and everything. And when he was doing some renovation on it inside one of the walls, he found a bunch of old newspapers that had been used for insulation. And one of them was uh, the Syracuse paper from April 15th, 1912, the feature story on the, on the cover and everything was all about the Titanic. And he saved it and he had it, he framed it and he had it hanging up in his house and everything because I was always trying to convince him to sell it to me and he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't part with it. I always thought that was cool. He literally yeah. found it in the walls of his house. I was like, oh. I love stuff like that. Now I'm looking at my walls. <laughs> Start tearing some walls out. Uh, I don't think this house is that old, though. It's old enough. On the cover of this issue, this Star Trek issue, did you notice the uh, peanut gallery? Yeah, what's with the ninja in there? <laughs> he looks like somebody from Mortal Kombat or yeah, something. Yeah, that's what I was like. There, he's, I think he's obviously some somebody because he just seems like he's supposed to stand out, you know? Mm-hmm. What's with yeah. the little kid standing there? Is that just some sort of elf? They all look like maybe they're, they're a take on people from other mm-hmm. genres of, of comics or something. Because that guy next to her with his fist raised up looks like he's from, like, some, I don't know what, you know? Yeah, yeah. Some superhero thing or something. And then on the other side, there's that, I don't know if that's a man or a woman holding, like, a martini glass right there. Oh, Almost yeah. Almost looks like a, like a Muppet-type creature. It's, so like it's a They're Muppet. all, yeah. Um, little Jabba the Hutt sort of... <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Lutina, or whatever her name was, is actually drawn rather attractively there. She doesn't have that, like, cat face type of thing right. that inside the issue. She actually looks like a regular female. Because in the issue proper, she she looks like a dude. She looks like a, dr- a dude dressed up as a, as a woman. 
She looks Total. like Freddie Mercury in, in drag, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Look at four, page 14 where she first makes the scene. I mean, that, that does, that looks like, that looks like a drag queen. <laughs> and Riker Frank finds her hot. Yeah. <laughs> Riker's all like, well, hello. Hello, I admire your Adam's apple there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> He'd hit it. So you're the hot piece of ass Picard's been talking about since you were four years old. <laughs> I'm very confused right now. Hiding the switchblade in the stargazer pendant was actually a pretty clever little trick, though. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So that's how they do people in the on this planet in the 24th century. They're still using switchblades. Still like uh, the the what what were the the jets and the da 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 da. It couldn't even be like a laser switchblade either. It's just like a regular old switchblade. It's just old school, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're a sort of old school warrior race. They're they're a little more visceral and grisly. With Wolverine hair. <laughs> yeah, they all have Wolverine hair. They all have those, like... It, it's not really their eyebrows, but they've got that old guy thing where your eyebrows grow into, like, owl horns. Stuff <laughs> <laughs> their head. Oh, they are a goofy-looking race. Yes. They really are. But really, that's about all I have on this. Finally, Troy gets something useful to do, I guess. Or they they yeah. they came up with something useful, although it's if all you call going sitting out around watching look, videos, yeah, watching videos and going, I don't like the way she's twirling that that starship pendant there. She's definitely the one who did it. <laughs> you sit here and watch videos so that you don't hurt anybody. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have a job for you. <laughs> Stay in this room and watch videos. <laughs> That way she's not going to wharf in a critical battle situation and go, I can sense that you're conflicted. Yeah, yeah, no, no. They gave her like 20, 25, 30 hours of video to pour through. <laughs> Went to 10 forward in peace. <sighs> her uniform in this is better than anything she'll wear in the show for like the first like six seasons too. It actually doesn't look half bad. Uh, you also you can't hear her voice, so. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. That's all I got on this one. It's, it's. I gotta say, it's a step up from the um, the other Star Trek series we're reading. Well, yes. I'm having I, so far. It's only two issues and this one story, but I'm having more fun. I'm. Looking forward to seeing what's next. What I like about what what I what I think I like about the idea of the Star Trek Next Generation comics is this really has a a bigger cast and crew, so they can do more. What they don't have to come up with bear claws, even though even though we've got inexplicably the inexplicable McRib in this one. <laughs> you don't really need him. You got this big cast of crew that you can do you can do. 
you know, and I mean, they've constantly done it with the Star Trek comics. It's like, okay, this, you know, this issue focus on Uhura, an Uhura, Uhura story. You got a huge crew to do that. Right. And all of them with all their own baggage. So th- it just opens up a lot more possibilities. And, you know, as with comics, you're drawing. So there's a bigger budget, better, you know, bigger special effects. Mm-hmm. So you you can do a little more, um, you know, um, ba- more impressive battles and stuff. You know, you can throw a whole bunch of spaceships into a shot. And it's not going to cost you anymore. So... I'm looking forward to it, and I like the art so far. I like the writing, especially. Yeah. So. Yeah, Michael Friedman. I mean, he's he's written a, a lot of Star Trek and some really good stuff. So, if nothing else, you know, you can tell that, you know, he really gets into the material that he's doing, and that he's he's knowledgeable of it. He's not just winging it or making up some stupid crap that doesn't feel like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. This totally feels like Star Trek. I like that. I really I, I like that, and I like that they respect the the readers enough to put somebody like that on the title. I mean, honestly, I mean, the only really, you know, quote unquote serious complaint I've got about the whole thing is that I really, I I enjoy the art and everything, but I do hope that it steps up. I hope it tightens up a bit and I hope that the alien races start to look better in the future. Cause this, this in a funny kind of way reminds me a lot of Kurt Swan's aliens. Cause According to legend, Kurt Swan hated drawing aliens, and that's why his aliens were always very fantastical and and not really believable. And I see that with this here, that the Star Trek regulars look like themselves, but then they're like juxtaposed into this almost like cartoony world where the aliens literally look like the cast or like the Thundercats. Yeah. And it's just jarring. Yeah. It just doesn't, the two worlds don't blend artistically. So I hope in the future when they go to different planets and meet different aliens that they're not quite so fantastic. I mean, I I realize it's comics and I, I like them having that freedom that you were talking about. But at the same rate, if it helps the visual dynamic to just make them you know, different forehead of the month aliens, then I'm, I'm all right with that <laughs> yeah, too. Because... Like, like they did with the TV show. Yeah, exactly. Cause at least that way it, it works visually. You're not getting something that's really far out and goofy looking or that eventually what, you know, looks really dated cause your aliens are all wearing go-go boots or something. Or just look stupid from the get go. <laughs> Absolutely. That's about all I got on on this one. Me too. So let's see. Next time around, let's see. Do we know what episode we are covering here? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, next time around is one called The Survivors. Is this the one? Oh, yeah. This I think you'll like this one. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. I think you'll enjoy it. This one's a lot of fun. I can't really tell you what it's about. Without giving the whole damn thing away. Oh, so I'll okay. just tell you it's that okay. I think you'll enjoy it. I, it's, it's actually a really good episode. And Troy gets a bad headache. Uh, all right. Things are looking up. <laughs> all right. So no comic next month. One issue. If you want your comics, you're going to have to go to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the old school edition. Mm-hmm. 
where we'll be doing some, what is it, Sutton and Villagran comics. I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure Probably. if they're yeah, on that one, but I know team. it's... Yeah, I know it's wrapping up the Harry Mud story. Ugh. Yay! Follow, 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 follow. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website. Donate any amount at all. Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. (laughs) Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E. F-R-E-A-K-S Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R You can friend me on Facebook too. If you can find me, now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. I'm out of shape. Uh, uh, I, th- I think we lost them. I think we're safe, Bill. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they're pretty persistent. I don't, I don't know. How are we going to get back to the truck? Well, how did we get into this mess? Oh, hell, you sure have a pretty mouth there, boy. Why don't you squeal like a pig? Be on the lookout for another chapter of Bill and Arnold in the quest for Hesh. <laughs>